Trick or treat, Adam. <laughs> uh, treat? I, I, trick or treat, Aaron. Happy Halloween. Eat your salad, Halloween. There's Eat no, your salad. <laughs> that, there's, there's no correct answer, I guess, to trick or treat, even though it, it does seem like a question. Right? <laughs> it's just kind of like, I don't know. Nobody really answers the question. You just give people candy. I know, right? Like, I... So I will say that I did the massive faux pas of when kids were saying trick or treat. I said trick or treat back to them. Uh, that's well, that's really not acceptable. That really doesn't make sense. I feel like but, it doesn't make sense, but it's acceptable because it's okay. almost like the greeting of the holiday. You know, okay. You just say trick or treat. Oh, trick or treat. You know. It's After like, a little bit of embarrassment, I I transitioned to Happy Halloween. So that seemed a little bit a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Halloween as a holiday has increased, uh, at least in the United States, just in, in in its intensity. You know, it just like seems like people really embrace it way more than I remember growing up. It's kind of oh, like yeah. a huge thing. Uh, but I guess it's, you know, in the UK too, because they decided to do a Doctor Who episode that's specifically, I guess it wasn't really a halloween themed episode by any means it was more just it happened to be on halloween and they did say the words trick-or-treat a couple times there was you know some you know there was some trick-or-treating that happened but the overall thrust of the episode wasn't driven by the holiday of halloween like maybe some of the the holiday specials or christmas specials have been yeah and i mean there were some creepy elements thrown in um not as much as i I expected, but I will say that there, there were some things that in the audience I was watching with being primarily my wife, um, she didn't necessarily want to look at. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was, there was some disturbing stuff, but so we're, we, it's been a while, I guess, you know, we're kind of jumping into this, like we just talked last week, but it's been a while since we've, we've done a review of a new episode of Dr. Who, Dr. Who is back, uh, we're excited. There's at least six episodes that we're going to be watching over the next however many weeks, depending on if they take any kind of break. And, you know, we get we got the first one. And since the last time we talked, we hadn't really known when the next up ep- when the first episode was coming out. So that was announced that it was going to be on Halloween. We didn't get a chance to record before that or after the announcement before the the episode. So now we're kind of like, all right, here we are. We're record. We're we're reviewing the first episode of series thirteen of Doctor Who. Yeah, it it really did sneak up on us. Like the last time we recorded, there we were still trying to figure out. Okay, it says fall of twenty twenty one, and we were trying to pinpoint when exactly that was, what that meant for timeline. Um, and then it started with a slow trickle, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, it's next week. Um, and it it really, really picked up speed there for the last week and a half before the episode finally, uh, finally showed. Right. Did you get a chance to watch it on, you know, live when it was I, – I know they did two airings. They kind of had the, the, the airing in the U.S. that was kind of earlier in the day, timed with the U.K. release, so it happened at the same time, like a simulcast. But then they did like a more standard time in the in the U.S. as well later that evening. Which one did you watch? 
I did the whole social media blackout um, and didn't watch it until it was available for download on Apple TV because that is, once again, how I purchased my season. Uh, so next day, is that when it, you get to see it? Yeah, it drops. They, 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 it's available for download at midnight, um, 12 a.m. of the next morning. So it wasn't until the next day that I was able to watch it. Okay, yeah. So, so a little info about this episode, the title, the Halloween apocalypse. There's also kind of like a, they're calling it, is it the flux? That's the kind of the title of the whole series. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that jumped out to me and I'm, I'm finding really interesting is that each episode has its title. So the Halloween apocalypse, the overall series has, seems like it has its own title being the flux. But then they've also divided it up into chapters. So this is technically like series flux, chapter one, Halloween apocalypse. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of a new thing for Doctor Who, right? Oh, They're, absolutely. This is a different way of going about things. I'm excited about what they're doing here. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. You're always you're you're kind of always nervous when a new Doctor Who season starts. It's like, okay, am I gonna be on board with this? Um, especially when you, you have so much changing with, you know, some of our favorite companions just left. We got this new guy, we don't know much about him. So you're kind of like, all right, you know, you're kind of feeling it out. But, um, overall I was pretty excited once it started. It seemed like it was kind of, it was hitting all the right notes for me throughout the episode. Yeah. So much, so much is changing. And then there's also at least in my mind, a lot riding on this series. Like we already know this is Jodie Whittaker's last series. We know it's Chibnall's last series. And so there's this anticipation of seeing a lot of these things come to conclusion. I mean, we have Yaz is the only returning uh, companion. We have the new companion. We have storylines that have been left lingering a little bit that I'm curious to see how all of it gets tied together, how things move forward. So not only do we have this buildup of uh, new things, but there's also, at least for me, that expectation of what's going to happen with this being the final series and with the shortened episode um, count. So we're looking at six total with a special at some point in 2022. Right. Yeah, with the two additional specials, right? Like there's three. Yes. But we don't know how tied in it is. So it's like, are they wrapping up the story essentially within these six episodes in one special or are they going to extend it out? I, I have a feeling that the specials are going to matter, you know, because that's going to be her last, you know, few episodes. So what other, whatever they're doing with this stuff may be setting up the specials. You know, the, the six yeah. episodes we see may, may be kind of setting up the big finish. Because I know with, you know, Tennant, for example, you know, his his end was with a couple specials. But they very much were, they weren't like one-off little stories like some specials are. They they were part of the, the bigger narrative that everything was leading to. And I feel like that's probably what they'll do with her as well. I don't think we'll just get some kind of random you know, Christmas special as her last episode. Um, 
it's going to be all tied in with this stuff too. Yeah, it makes sense. And we'll get into it as we talk about this episode, but there is a metric ton of foreshadowing in this episode. It seems like they almost set up every episode for the rest of the series in the very first episode with all the different storylines that they had running simultaneously. So I would not be surprised if they had to use the specials to tie all of these different things together. Right. Yeah. We we'll talk about it. Cause there's, there's a very specific scene that kind of just gives us little moments of like, this is what's happening with all these different characters that we introduced. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so the quick summary of the episode, uh, the official summary. Halloween 2021, a storm approaches. Something tears through space and time, undoing everything it touches. Who is the man who escapes his shackles? What about Dan has got his captor's attention? Why have the angels come? And what will remain of the earth when this night is done? Question mark. <laughs> so that's kind of the official summary. Um this episode started out with a scene that we had seen in the trailer a little bit um, in some teaser stuff where the doctor and Yaz are like kind of hanging off some bar in the sky over stuff that's going to kill them. And it's our first introduction to Carvanista. Is that how you say his name, you think? Yes. Carvanista? Carvanista. When I heard, when I saw Carvanista, um, I thought it was a species that because that, that term had been revealed at some point. I forget how. And I was like, oh, it sounds like a species. But then you find out it's, it's just a it's a guy. It's a person, a thing, a th- and not <laughs> a, <laughs> a lupari, a lupari. Uh, so, yeah, so we get the introduction to him, but we don't really see him. He's kind of shrouded in, you know, this hologram thing. Uh, he seems to be pretty bent on killing Yaz and the doctor, which I found interesting that he's not just, you know, some kind of foil to them. Like he's literally just trying to murder them at this point. And they have this kind of silly interaction with them trying to survive this predicament that they've been put in. And I actually found this may be my least favorite part of the entire episode. Uh, this, this introduction was kind of like, oh, okay, this is really silly. A lot of kind of cheesy lines. I'm really glad it was kind of a, an off, you know, it was kind of not the, the way the rest of the episode felt. It felt very, you know, kind of boxed off as its own little moment that I could just roll my eyes at and be like, okay, move on. I a hundred percent agree. That's <laughs> I'm after watching that very first part, I was concerned that that really was going to set the tone for the entire episode. I mean, how, Taking a step back, how much time did probably just myself? I I think you did a little bit, but how much time did we spend picking apart things that only show up in this small section of the episode? Um, I mean, this is where we saw those mountain peaks and mm-hmm. the flying robot things and like all these other elements that I was doing a lot of. Um, guessing what they were and how they played in. Ultimately, this entire scene really is a throwaway. Um, I, I'm I'm curious if they they wanted to start out fast paced, kind of reintroduce you to 
Yaz and the doctor's relationship, re-emphasize the fact that it was only Yaz and the doctor and there weren't other companions and companions involved. Um, kind of loop you in on the fact that they've been having a lot of adventures, um, a lot of dangerous, fun, kooky adventures. But ultimately, as it transitions to the title sequence and then to the very next scene that follows this, I felt like you probably could have just cut out that entire first part, take us directly to the title sequence, and then drop us into the next scene where the guy's digging the tunnels and talks about the uh, cataclysm cataclysmic events that are coming. Right. Yeah, it... I guess it was a way to introduce us to Carbonista. Like, hey, this guy's trying to kill her. But even that just felt like who he ends up being just felt like very out of character for what the initial introduction was. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. I don't know. It, maybe they wrote that intro scene and then the the episode went a different direction than they thought. And they're just kind of like, uh, oh, doesn't. Well, we keep it in there because it's got some funny moments, but it doesn't seem to really connect to the rest of the episode very well. Um, with with the amount that they like how heavily cgi it was and the different um action sequences and stuff of that beginning part it almost is like hey we probably spent so much money to make this scene happen we need to keep it one way or another leave it in <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, and it was in the trailer and stuff too so like they <laughs> they i guess didn't want to confuse people by cutting it but the the drones were not spaceships they were not spaceships. Yeah. I will admit that they were relatively tiny. And then I think you had another prediction about the mountains also being another location that shows up, which, which probably isn't the case now. No, I'm pretty much I'm pretty convinced that anything and everything from this opening sequence, other than Carvanista, totally throw away. Yeah. Doesn't matter in the long run. Strike it from your memory, folks. It yeah. doesn't matter. It was just a goofy oddball intro to an episode that continues on without it. Yeah. Adam is 0 for 2 on predictions <laughs> based on the trailer. Yep. As It's par for the course, right? I'm in true form. I never get any of my predictions correct. <laughs> the uh, You had mentioned they, they go to Liverpool. 1820 is the, the time period they jump to. And this is kind of the first foreshadowing, I would say, as to yeah. things to come or things that are connected. We get this, this scene. There's, uh, you know, a couple guys, a couple old guys in top hats talking. There's some construction going on, digging some tunnels. And there's a purpose behind it. They're definitely, you know, telegraphing that. and But there's not a lot of explanation. So... And they really don't revisit it the rest of the episode until kind of the little flash at the end. But it's a, it's definitely intriguing. It's like, okay, what's happening here? There's tunnels being dug. The one guy's kind of like, why are we doing this? Doesn't seem like it has a purpose. And the other guy's like, no, there's like cataclysmic event coming. The Something that's impossible. But just teasing us with these big words, but not necessarily giving us much more than that. And I feel like this scene is more of a tone setter for the rest of the episode. And it, these quick flashes that we have to characters, to scenes, that it, it is what happens throughout the rest of the episode. And as I was watching through it in real time, 
I found it pretty jarring at times to be jumping to all these different things. And then literally it happens and then it never is revisited. It's not fleshed out further in the episode, but it wasn't until sitting back and kind of thinking through reflecting on the episode as a whole that it's like, Oh, what they're doing is they're giving us basically they've laid out the entire series for us. We now know all of these bits and pieces that have to be unpacked. So instead of having a 12 episode series where each episode you, or the first four or five episodes, you have all these seeds sown and you're waiting for them to grow. We've essentially had all these seeds, these plot seeds sown in the very first episode that now we get to watch grow into the story elements that they, they have for us. Yeah. I loved it. I loved that. They left me hanging on these things. I loved that they were setting up because it's something that we've kind of complained about with this iteration of the doctor is there were, there wasn't that, you know, they, there weren't a lot of elements of them just kind of dropping a little information, not giving us much more. And then the payoff is later. Right. Yeah. And it, it, they did it a, a little bit, you know, timeless child was planted pretty early and it paid off after a couple seasons. Uh, so that was cool. But here it's like, they're just dropping all kinds of little hints as to, you know, there's stuff coming. They definitely oh, yeah. didn't explain it all. They just gave us a little tease, even characters like Vinder, like, okay, we, we were somewhat introduced to him, but we really don't know why he was there, right? Yeah. Why is he on that station? What is, what's his importance? Is he affiliated with other groups that we already know about? Uh, you know, things like that, where in previous iterations of Doctor Who, I don't think they would have given us a standalone episode like this that leaves so many threads hanging just from one episode. This is yeah. a new a new a new way of storytelling in Doctor Who. And um I like it. It's cool. It leaves me really excited about the next episode. Yeah. It's it's an interesting way to approach it. Like I said, I found it jarring <laughs> when I first watched the episode it wasn't until everything had it had wrapped up for that episode and I sat with it for a little bit that really the the uh anticipation starts to build right because I do want to know okay how does Vendor fit into the rest of the story I do want to know Claire and her situation and and Diane and, and what's happening there. And like all these characters that we get to spend maybe two minutes, two and a half minutes with um, ultimately at the end of everything. And then they're gone off the screen and never talked about again. Um, I, that anticipation is there, that expectation of, okay, what is to come in the very short series that we're getting. So a little speculation, I think, uh, about Liverpool, 1820. And then they jump right to Liverpool of the, of now. And that's when we meet Dan for the first time. Yeah. He's, you know, he's in a museum, kind of gives us the indication he works there as a tour guide, but then you quickly find out he's just kind of pretending that he's a tour guide. And he really cares about Liverpool as a place. <laughs> he cares about the history of it. He seems to be very informed. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, we saw 1820s Liverpool and then building these tunnels and it's, you know, has some sort of importance. And then we jump to modern Liverpool and we have somebody who's now part of the doctor's team who is very versed in the history of Liverpool. 
you know, that's obviously intentional that I think Dan is going to play a pivotal role in the future in kind of his knowledge of Liverpool is going to be purposeful. It's going to have something to do with the story because, you know, there is this history that's happening, you know, with these tunnels and stuff, and maybe he has some knowledge about that that's going to pay off later. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, there's definitely definitely a tie there. Um, and Dan is <laughs> Dan is from Liverpool through and through. He's a scouser, as he calls himself. Yeah, didn't know didn't know that term. Uh, didn't even look it up because I was just like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I get the gist of you know what it means. But uh, what were your kind of first impressions of Dan as a as a character? He he is not at all what I anticipated. Again, I was horribly incorrect about my speculation, right? I, <laughs> I called him multiple times, like that blue collar, rough neck, like worker to the core. Ultimately, he is probably one of the extremely likable companions that we've had <laughs> step foot on the TARDIS in a while. He's just a really giving down to earth kind character. I mean, they, they show him at the museum giving free tours. He says it's because he likes to make people happy. He loves history, loves Liverpool, likes to make people happy. Cuts later to him at a food bank where he doesn't accept food to then it cuts to his house and he has no food for himself, even though he's passing out candy to a trick or treat to trick or treaters. Like he is, they have set this guy up to be, a saint essentially and even in situations that they throw him into where it's like oh wow that's a tough situation he's kind like he he's doesn't get bent out of shape about it he's just super calm chill about it and ultimately just a genuinely good dude so my impression of him is totally different than what i speculated he would be like but i really like his character like his character was a huge high point of this episode for me yeah it's almost like he's too good what's what's he hiding what's oh what's, come on what's no, the twist you know? some good in this world aaron let it no, exist. i'm i'm all you know i'm all for it if he just is a straight up nice guy and he's that way throughout and there's no kind of hidden thing i'm i'm all for it i like good guys i like good guy characters and i'll root for him all the way through uh you said that he didn't you your prediction was off. Do you not think he's a blue collar type? You think he's like, uh, you know, more of an intellectual who's down on his luck. He does kind of have a blue collar vibe to him. I thought blue collar as in like the gruff, rough and ready, like like working that... on the docks, right? You know? it, okay. The idea of blue collar comes with like this very calloused approach. I'm not saying that he's not a worker. I'm not saying that he's not a hard worker. I'm just saying he doesn't have that gruff rough calloused exterior right yeah i kind of thought he was going to be maybe a little bit more comic relief than he came across i do think he will be comic relief you know they oh yeah you know there will be moments and we've seen it in some of the trailers and stuff where he's kind of in these silly moments uh but i don't think it's going to be as heavy-handed as i expected based on some of the trailers you know this this first episode really sets the tone for his character that I'm hoping that they stick with because I really did enjoy the balance. You know, he had a little bit of humor, 
you know, some clever lines, you know, even when he's faced with an alien, you know, he kind of isn't really phased, initially thinks it's a costume, but then once he realizes it's an alien, it's not like he freaked out. He's just like, okay, right. you know, like, let me just roll with this. Like, um, I do, I really like his character. I do think he's a little bit of a Graham type. Yeah, I can uh, see that. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like maybe they... I don't know this, you know, why certain characters left or why actors decided to move on, but maybe the plan was that Graham was still going to be there, and then once they lost him, they're like, "Well, let's just get another guy to fit that same type of role." Um, but yeah, I, you know, my my first impression, like you, I'm a big fan so far. Yeah, it's it's almost like thinking back on the interviews that John Bishop did with Yaz and the doctor. Um, I wonder how much he's really acting. <laughs> like Dan seems very close in characteristics and mannerism mannerisms and kindness and genuineness that John Bishop came across in the interview. Um, they seem, they seem very much like one in the same. Yeah, he plays himself, uh, yeah. which you know a lot of a lot of actors are that way. Where, and that's why some some actors are so likable because they do just kind of it comes so natural because the characters they play tend to just be different versions of themselves. Um, yeah, and I and he said something because I think he's really from Liverpool too, because uh, I think I remembered in a Graham Norton interview or something they were kind of joking about how he got kind of his hand slapped a little bit when he had revealed that his character was from Liverpool and BBC <laughs> was kind of like, you're not supposed to say that. And he's like, like, do you not hear my voice? Like everybody knows I'm from Liverpool. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I think that was, you know, so I do think he, not only is he playing a character that seems a lot like him, I think even his, you know, where he's from is the same. I could be wrong. Maybe people that are big, big fans of him, uh, maybe know where he's really from, but that's what I, that was the indication I got that he's, He's actually from Liverpool. Huh. Um, we got introduced not only to a new companion, but kind of a new a new villain that seems like a big deal. You know, we get this uh this guy who's in this prison. He's been in prison since quote the dawn of the universe. And um his name is Swarm. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting name for a singular character. And I will just say that another piece of my speculation that was incorrect. <laughs> well, you did say that it was going to be the, you know, kind of the big thing that they had to worry about, right? It was going to be the 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 through line through the, the season was going to be the swarm, right? <laughs> so. I, I appreciate you giving me credit on something, Aaron, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I called that those drones were the swarm themselves. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you trying to help me out, but I'm taking another L on this one. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't expect it to be a singular entity to be called the swarm. I thought that was interesting. Um, they did throw us off a little bit in the trailers where we see different versions of him, you know, because he's... Oh, when yeah. When we're first introduced to him and he's imprisoned... He's got this completely different look. He's got the sunken eyes. He's got the sharp needle teeth. Um, and that's kind of where we had paused it and we're trying to figure out, oh, who could it be? What could it be? But then he quickly uh, changes form, and which we had already seen that form as well in the trailers. Uh, so it was a nice little sleight of hand there that that was actually the same character. 
Yeah. Um, this is, you know, he's imprisoned. This is also where they kind of reveal that the um, division is is going to be a part of this because the the agents that come to check on him are from the division. Are they? Yeah, they are. Well, I don't know that they ever say that. Okay. In the episode, but based on the weaponry they had, um, and kind of some of the comments around, uh, I think did they say they are from the division? But I, I just don't know that it was ever straight up said in the episode. But I think there's there are, there are indicators that they are division agents. Okay. Um, that they and the the one that he ends up killing first was, you know. He had kind of said to to her that she had been doing this for millennia, right? Like it's a time lord type thing where um, I guess her job was to to check on him, and then she was going to pass it off to the other the the other recruit. So yeah, so I think they were time lords, the two uh, division agents there, and they were both murdered without a chance to regenerate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they kind of uh, disintegrated into particles. Yeah, pretty uh, a pretty nasty way uh, for people to go, and it happened to happened a bunch of times in this episode. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely is better than the Dalek beam, see your skeleton, turn to ash type of way out. Um, at least visually, this is the swarm. The Swarm is ultimately, like, a pretty creepy character. Yeah, when he was locked up, he looked creepy. Needle teeth, like you described, the sunken eyes, all that. It doesn't get any better once he sucks the life out of these two individuals and then takes on his, quote-unquote, revived form. He, His gold teeth, the crystals growing out of the side of his head, he still is... A pretty creepy dude oh yeah he's he's definitely you know scary looking and he's got kind of this air about him of confidence that you know is it's good to see it's kind of master-esque in a way and i think that maybe he is i don't think he's the master uh but i think he maybe is kind of what the master becomes to the doctor you know this is that this is that character for pre doctor doctor <laughs> timeless child era doctor you know this is someone that the doctor has sparred with in the past but doesn't remember so part of her part of what she lost in her memory with you know the what happened with them erasing her memory um she she forgot about this guy yeah it's so interesting I'm not saying that I'm not saying interesting in a bad way. It's just such such an interesting way for this villain to come to light. Um, because we in the timeless child storyline, like we got the pictures of the doctor as a very small child. Um, and then we have like that a gap, a blank space <laughs> as the doctor gets older. Um, and there's been a lot of, Again, speculation, okay, what happens there? How many doctors are there really? How many uh, incarnations? Like, what? What's how many regenerations took place? 
And then we have this character who seems to be at least on par in their ability to survive. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what story is tied around the swarm and then how, how it fits in with the division, right? Because that's how the doctor doesn't remember. That's who the doctor was looking for initially. So there's, there are those main story threads that probably are going to be the main thrust of the episodes, though we're going to have all these other things that are foreshadowed mixed in there as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, he, Swarm could be any number of things, right? Like, oh, absolutely. He seems to have so much power. Uh, you know, we have conversations. He, he's got this almost telepathic connection to the doctor. So like when we first inter- introduced to him and he escapes and then he's, he kind of looks right at the camera and says trick or treat. And <laughs> then the doctor hears that. And later on in the episode, we have that moment where the, he kind of pulls the doctor into this almost like other realm. And it, it all seems like it's happening in her, in her mind. Right. It's yeah. not like she physically went there, but you know, he has this, this psychic connection to her that he can kind of do this. So and then it's the, you know, the Time Lords are the ones that had him imprisoned, it looks like. So it's kind of like, what is his connection to the Time Lords? Is he a former Time Lord? Uh, is he just some villain that they've been fighting against for all this time? And, you know, for whatever reason, have kept him alive and kept him locked up. And yeah, there's, there's so much mystery around it. And it's very much tied into the Division and Time Lords and uh, the Doctor's previous self, which is all stuff that we're all wondering about and you know i'm super excited about them to continue to reveal this stuff okay so speculation right so what if he is so all the time lords flow from the doctor at least that's what the timeless child storyline concluded with right that all the time lords come from the doctor the experiments all that stuff he's the first to come from the doctor but it didn't go right. Mm. He's a basically a mutated experimented clone that it didn't go right. His regenerations don't happen the same as everybody else's. He actually has to suck life from other people in order to be in order to regenerate or be revived. I feel like you're spoiling it. You're spoiling the season for me (laughs) because that makes so much sense. That is almost like, Oh no. It's almost like if that's the big reveal at the end, we'll be like, Oh, Adam just spoiled it for us in the first episode. The one time I get something right and it's going to (laughs) be terrible. I could totally see it being some version of that. I actually had a similar thought about him being some sort of a, you know, connection to that initial, some of those initial experiments that were being done because that's how, you know, this scientist I'm forgetting. I'm a little hazy on the details, but I know there was like the scientist that, um, was able to replicate the doctor's abilities and then yeah. transfer that to the Time Lord. So, you know, you would think there there was some experimentation going on and that, that you know, there has to be, anytime you have experimentation, there's going to be failed experiments. So it would kind of make sense that, that maybe there is someone out there who uh, who was one of these failed experiments that has a chip on their shoulder. Okay, I'm going to inject another speculation just to give two running theories so I don't <laughs> spoil anything, Okay. He is a first-generation ruined manifestation of the TARDIS. 
That is why he has those crystals protruding from his head. <laughs> I don't like that one as much. <laughs> uh, well, that's what I'm going with. So you can't blame me that I spoiled anything. And the other thing, too, is it is revealed later that he has a sister. And so where would she fit into all this? Yeah, yeah you know, I know. Or they maybe brother-sister failed experiment kind of thing. Uh, yeah. You know, but I, I like the speculation, at least the first one. Uh, I think it, it kind of makes sense. And if that ends up being somewhat, you know, even if you're not right on the mark, but like if the, it does seem like that could be at least, it, it could go that direction. Um, and I wouldn't be mad if that's the direction it went. <laughs> Good. At least not at the episode, right? You'll still be angry with me. <laughs> so here's a question because Carvanista, uh, interesting choice of species. He basically some very similar to Chewbacca. For any, any of you. Oh, know. absolutely. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what who Chewbacca is, right? Even if you're not into Star Wars, he's kind of one of those things that, you know, he resonates beyond just the people that know. Uh, yep. Yeah, very, uh, almost purposeful, I would think. Cause, yeah. Because he looks a lot like Chewbacca, uh, but also does, like, almost tries to do a Jedi mind trick at one point. Yep. So it's kind of like, okay, they know that this was kind of, you know, a rip off a bit of an alien species and they kind of, they, they leaned into it and kind of made a little bit of a joke about it. So I was, I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. You know, I tend to not like as much like kind of the more silly looking aliens and stuff, but this one, for whatever reason, kind of worked for me. It, it was definitely silly, you know, in, in how much they tried to like align and the fact that he's a dog. They call him a dog <laughs> multiple times. Um, and then when you realize what his mission is, that he's going, that all these, these uh, Lumpari are coming to save humanity because each one of them is like basically honor bound to a, a, an individual human. And it's like, okay, like that's just, that's almost too on the nose. Like, okay, man's best friend. Like, you know, you're that why would there be a, a dog-like species out there that cared so much about humanity? <laughs> it's just a oh, weird... Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It, 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 and they even they even make the man's best friend joke along right. the way. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to spot exactly... Because it's, it's like genetic bound or something along those lines. Um, which... I have some major questions as to how that happens because each Lupari basically has a designated human that they're bound to. Um, and that is, that is their human. So man's best friend essentially. But yeah, I, it was one of those things where you initially see him and it's like, Oh, I'm going to hate this character because of how he looks, how on the nose it is, how goofy, ridiculous, what have you. I didn't hate him. I didn't. For some reason, even with the way that his mouth didn't necessarily move the right way or the the face mechanics weren't spot on for me, I liked him. It was a little ridiculous, a little campy, but it was solid. I en I enjoyed Carvanista. Yeah, and I think the actor did a great job. You know, the, the, whoever the actor was, I don't have the name in front of me, but the actor playing that character just did a really good job. It could have been a lot worse. And yeah. I think he, he did a great job of just kind of being a 
I don't know, just a really good actor and was able to portray the character in a way that didn't feel um, over the top or, or, or really cheesy. There was, I'm glad they didn't do any kind of barking or sniffing or scratching. Yeah. You know, some of the, some of the things they could have done to make it even worse. The fact, you know, looks like a dog. Okay. The man's best friend, they're coming to save. That's fine. It, it was kind of funny to me when they were like, you know, there's 7 billion ships. I'm like, holy cow, is this all these, you know, they each have their own ship? You know, on this planet, like, are yeah. the children dogs coming, or are they, or is their population just so huge that just the uh, kind of the uh, the percentage of the population that actually can own a ship and be part of this, you know, force is just a small percentage, you know, and there's, you know, there's maybe a hundred billion of them somewhere on a, on this giant planet. But I was just like, wow, that's a, quite a force. Doctor Who does that a lot, where everything is so extreme when it comes to time or the amount of things it's like they couldn't have just been like oh yeah there's like you know a million of these ships and each ship is contains however many of these you know that are coming to to save humanity but no each one has their own ship and there's (laughs) seven billion ships in space (laughs) right this is it is definitely one of those things that the longer you sit and you stare at it the more odd it becomes right like the fact that they were also prepared for the big tidal wave of destruction that was coming, that they had time to construct ships that were essentially impervious to the what, the calamity that was coming. And the doctor just so happened to say, what if you formed a shield around the earth and it was enough to protect the earth as opposed to their original plan of just picking up all the humans off the earth and running away with them. Like there's, there's so many things about it that it's like okay i don't quite get what's going on here i think the saving grace of that is the fact that there are so many things happening in this episode that you don't really have time to sit and pick that apart right like it's jumping around and your mind has so many different things to latch on to i didn't quite give that aspect of it that much time to pick it apart in the moment yeah, it's kind of a throwaway moment, really. It, you know, the the defense of Earth. It really happens like in within like a minute. Yeah. You know, they're like, okay, like here's the plan. They'd already established that these ships could resist this to a, this flux to an extent. Uh, so let's wrap them around the Earth. Which I don't know the math on that either. Could seven billion ships really wrap all the way around the Earth? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and they're not they're not rounded, so it'd be kind of like a squarish. Yeah, I guess they have like a force field thing that connects them so it can kind of round out. I don't know. But it, it reminded me of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Yep. in that moment where all those ships kind of link up and it, it builds this, you know, kind of force field that stops stuff from falling to the Earth or to whatever planet that was. But um, yeah, it was it was it, you're right. It's it's kind of like the more you think about it, the more it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But I mean, this is also the show that like had you know, the earth dragged across the galaxy at one point, you know? So, yeah, which also doesn't make any sense. Everybody on earth would have completely been annihilated if that happened. So, so yeah, it's, you kind of just give it a pass with some of this stuff that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, and you're right. There was so much else going on that it didn't really become this, this moment definitely wasn't the focus of the show. Cause quickly it turns into, okay, we we're wrapping the earth in this protective shield of ships, but, we can't. We still can't stop this flux. Like it's still coming. 
Yeah. Um, and we'll get to kind of what the doctor was trying to do. But before we get there, we are introduced to these characters um, on the at the Arctic Circle. Uh, li- living in this house. There's, you know, it seems like a husband, wife, or at least, you know, a couple that are living in this house. And they're visited by, I guess, it's kind of like a warning beacon type drone yeah. that the the woman... They both seem to know what it is, so it's yep. not because they're this. This is something I didn't really catch until the second watch, but um, they they both seem to know what it is and say, "Oh, this isn't supposed to come unless there's like a major emergency." And so then she goes and crushes it and says, "Let's basically act like we didn't see it," and then they go about their life. Um, but then later on in the episode, they revisit these characters and a swarm shows up. And he kills the man. So I guess if that man was in on something, he wasn't important because <laughs> he's <laughs> dead now. And the woman kind of seems scared at first, but then realizes, you know, or kind of comes out of her stupor and is like, oh, I'm actually cool with the fact that you just killed this guy. She says, thank you to Swarm. And he touches her. And then instead of it disintegrating her, it like, takes away the human form and she looks like a character from Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. But yeah, the, the initial Arctic circle situation where the beacon drone warning shows up and she basically attacks it and crushes it. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, dang, what just, what just happened here? Like, I don't, I don't understand what this is about. Like is are they warning them about the fleet coming for Carvanista, like an invasion happening in Earth? Because of the way that the episode flows from one thing to the other, you automatically assume all these things are connected. And they are, but not necessarily how you expect them to be. And the warning drone doesn't seem to be Earth-based. So it's not yeah. something that they... They didn't seem surprised by it. They obviously were human. So there's some some reason why they recognized it because if the woman was still kind of in the mentality that she was human, then why was she so in the know? Right? Like, yeah, he, he breaks her trance and then she becomes his, you know, Oh, it's his sister all along. But if she was in that mental state, she wouldn't have been surprised when he showed up. So I don't, there does seem to be some either bad writing isn't making it make sense or there's more that hasn't been revealed. But um, I did find it odd that the man seemed to kind of be to completely unfazed by this drone and seemed to know what was going on. But then he also wasn't part of the plan because he was just murdered and seemed completely shocked that this guy shows up. Well, was he shocked because he sees him and then he's like, oh, don't touch anything. And then he like bursts into flames. So <laughs> yeah. it's like he had some some idea of what you shouldn't do in that situation. It was just too late for him. So it's like he had some idea of what was happening. It's just, he wasn't prepared for it. And you could, you kind of, it does seem like there's, there are more and more, the more you think about it, parallels between the time Lords and, and swarm, because the idea of someone being thinking that they're human, you know, that's kind of what happens with the doctor, right? Like when the chameleon arc, is that what it's called? Fob watch. Yeah, like when that's happened a number of times with the doctor or even with the fugitive doctor where they didn't realize that they were 
who they were. And so that's kind of what happens to his sister as well. So there is some parallels that maybe, maybe there is more of a connection with the Time Lords. Um, at least maybe they, you know, I'm not going to go out as far as saying that I think they're Time Lords, but I do think there is a, a pretty significant connection. Yeah, I, something's going on, right? This is another <laughs> one of those things that are things that's going to have to be explained at some point, right? I, I can't imagine that they aren't going to give the swarm and Anna slash Azure, um, a backstory so that we understand who they are, why they are and how they came to be. Like that has to be explained at some point. That's her name, Azure. Yeah. Okay. It did give me, it also reminded me of, and I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the episode, but remember the episode where they had the godlike characters that they were kind of going up against and the one guy was bald and then he went and he was trying to unlock his... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just last season. Right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not remembering the name of the episode, but that it, it definitely had some kind of similarities where you have this almost deity type you know, character who's going to, to unlock another deity like character to help them. Um, it was like, oh yeah, you you did write that already, Chibnall. You're just you're taking it in a different direction now. <laughs> uh, but we we also get introduced to Claire. You know, kind of at this point in the episode, we're kind of jumping around, but in in this moment, Yaz and the Doctor have just kind of come out of Dan's house after it got shrunk, and this random woman just kind of runs up to them. Yeah. It's like, hey, I didn't think I'd see you here. And she obviously knows who they are. They don't know who she is. She has a, she has a bit of a style about her that she looks modern, but her hair is kind of not. Yeah. You know, it's I agree. from an earlier time, maybe. Yep. Um and and she kind of says, you know, Yaz seems really confused and she tells Yaz, oh, it's gonna be okay. And you, so you're at this moment you're starting to get like okay there's going to be some timey wimey stuff going on right yeah and then this woman says like I need to go home and goes home and then there's a, a weeping angel that starts stalking her and then you're like oh I can kind of see where this is going uh, in the first significant appearance of of a weeping angel in in quite a while yeah and and going back to the line where she says I have to go home she says. You've got to go home now, Claire. Like, when she says that line, it almost means like she's saying something else entirely. Not necessarily like, I need to go to the place where I live right now, but like, it has that sense of finality to it, right? Like, she knows what's coming. Like, she's trying to prepare herself for what's next. But yeah, she starts walking down the street and then, oh my goodness, they cut to a weeping angel standing in the middle of the road. That they carry such like, I don't know. They, they have such memory attached to them from watching the original blink episode. And then the other episodes that they show up in just seeing them in the street brought back really good feelings. Yeah. And in the weeping angels have been used in a lot of different ways. And I think the most uh, impactful episode with them is is blink right like right. The, their introduction 
And then I think as they continue to use them, they kind of changed maybe a little bit how they work and, you know, oh, they're, these weeping angels are a little different than the other weeping angels. And so their abilities almost seem to change. And it seemed like this version was going back to the original intent, right? Uh, yeah. I thought it was very effectively done because I, maybe I'm wrong, but the last significant appearance of them was with uh, Amy and Rory, right? Yeah. Other than they... like small little cameos here and there where they just kind of show up in the background or whatever. But, you know, actually being part of the main villain in the episode. Yeah. Uh, Angels take Manhattan, which they did have a solid impact, but that was also sullied by the Statue of Liberty being. Well, that's what I was going to say. I felt like the last time that they appeared, it almost like I wouldn't say it ruined them for me as villains, but it kind of that whole moment with the Statue of Liberty and all that just it was like they took it too far. Right. They tainted because the the thing about them that has always been kind of the creepiest to me is how subtle they are, right? Like they're the things that move out of the corner of your eyes that you don't necessarily perceive that they're moving until it's too late. And in that one it's like, "Oh dang, it's now 10, 20 stories high." And like impossible to miss. <laughs> so it's the the subtle nature of that feels like it returned, even in the brief moment that it was in this episode. And just the, the utter panic of Claire as she's fumbling with her keys, as she's telling herself not to blink, as her eyes are watering because she refuses to look away. And you know, you you know that it's impossible for her to survive this situation. And I think she knew that she had to. Like that had to happen. Yeah. And that's where the timey-wimey stuff is coming in. I think, you know, the way she comes up to the doctor and Yaz and she's already met them. So she knew what she had to do. And I think that's why she said the line, I have to go home now, is she knew where she needed to be for this yep. to all come to pass. Yeah. And so even though she maybe was chickening out a little bit at the end and was like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get touched by this thing. Cause I know what's going to happen. And she's kind of, it seemed like trying to get away from it. But in the end, you know, I think she ultimately knew what was going to happen to her and that, you know, the weird thing about the weeping angels is, you know, they don't kill you per se that when they touch you, you know, they send you back in time. Yeah. And so, um, I think she needed to be somewhere in time in order to help the doctor later. And that's what we're seeing happening. Oh, I, but the very fact, like the last scene that you see the weeping angels, it just gives you chill, right? Chills, oh, yeah. right? Like the door is open and it's just standing there with its hands over its eyes, like good, good chills because it's like, okay, they're back. And I think they might handle them the right way. Right. Yeah. Best use of weeping angels since the original. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was happy to see. And the fact that it was just one, right? It was just one angel. Right. Yeah. And it was still so intimidating because you knew, you know, as soon as she blinked. And I like that the fact that it wasn't that she turned her back. That was the final touch. It was the blink. And they yeah. zoomed in on her eye. Yep. And you just see her eye blink and then boom, she's she's gone. And it was, it was very, very well done. Absolutely. So, yeah. So we also have the TARDIS kind of, you know, acting weird yeah and they didn't really explain that either I'm, a, I'm assuming it has something to do with the flux but 
it starts like leaking oil type stuff it has the entrances are just kind of showing up randomly all over the place and you know they seem to have to like hit it with this mallet like <laughs> more often than usual <laughs> um yeah so there's definitely something going on with the tardis that we don't really know you know the full extent of yeah, and I don't know if it was someone on our Facebook page or if it was someone just randomly on Twitter, um, but someone pointed out, even from one of the the trailers, some of the set pictures, that it looked like the TARDIS was starting to break down. And sure enough, within the very first couple minutes of the episode, they make it very clear <laughs> that the TARDIS is getting a little bit rougher and rougher um, when it comes to the inside appearance, how it's reacting, and the doctor gives no indication whatsoever that she has some concern. No indication to Yaz that she has some concern. Us as the audience, we definitely get the hint that something's not right. Right. And and Yaz in this episode, she really I feel like she's changed as a character. You know, a lot has happened since the last time we've seen her, you know, Graham and Ryan are gone. She's now the sole companion for the doctor. They've been there. They've been kind of doing their thing for a little bit, it seems like. And she's just got a different level of um, confidence about her. And I think she always came across that way, but it's like it's notched up a couple levels now. And she can fly the TARDIS. She she's speaking the lingo. She she just kind of she's a she's partnering with the doctor at this point. Um, kind of like the way I would say, kind of the way Clara was getting kind of toward her, the end of her run. Yeah. Almost to the point where we were kind of annoyed by it because <laughs> she was yeah. almost trying to be the doctor. Um, but yeah, Yaz has a different, a kind of a different way about her and, um, her character is, is definitely progressed. I, so that is, that's another thing that stuck out to me about this episode that I've gone back and forth with in my mind is the relationship that the doctor and Yaz have, because at times it seems like they're, they're very open with each other. There's that camaraderie, there's that friendship, but then there's also the comments that get dropped by Yaz about how the doctor's really not totally open with her, not totally upfront with her. Then there's the doctor getting defensive and like, why do I have to tell you? Have I not given you fun trips? Have we not had a good time together? Have we not been good friends? Like I, I'm really confused by their relationship at the end of, at the end of this episode, <laughs> really at the, as I just sit and think about the relationship, I'm really confused buy it and i'm not entirely sure what about it doesn't feel right because like we've had those dynamics before right where tenant or smith or capaldi would hide something from his companions but this one this just seems different i don't know maybe it's just me but there there seems something odd here yeah i don't yeah i don't are you saying you think there's some something more to it that the doctor doesn't trust Yaz, maybe? Or... Yeah, I think that's how it's being portrayed, but I just don't know if it makes sense. Does that <laughs> does that make sense? Like, <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to do is show that, like, there's not this, although they're happy and there's fun times and the doctor's super goofy, that she isn't being totally honest and upfront with Yaz. 
but it just doesn't seem to fit with their relationship. Like it doesn't seem to fit with how close they are that they're traveling just the two of them together. It seems out of place, like that friction, that tension, that not full transparency. Maybe the doctor wants Yaz to just, because even the comments that she made about like, am I not showing you a good time? You know, I'm taking you these awesome experiences and maybe to the doctor, that's what Yaz, like, I just want you to come along so I can wow you, right? Like, yeah. I just want you to be, you know, quote unquote, a traditional companion, right? Like, you know, right. you know some of the, we've seen from previous companions and companions have kind of evolved in that, you know, that it seems like more recently the companions are more of kind of a partnership with the doctor as opposed to, you know, kind of a lesser than. Uh, than the doctor so maybe the doctor's kind of like like i don't need you to be in the know about everything i don't need you to know all about my history and about the time lords and about why i'm you know why i'm chasing down um the division and you know that's too much information it's too it's too much for your human brain to be worried about (laughs) just enjoy the ride and maybe maybe that's the doctor's just getting kind of annoyed by it and i think Just listening to you talk, I think one thing that jumps out to me is like season one, I get it. Series two, okay, I understand. But it seemed like series two came with a lot of lessons at the end where like it would make sense for the doctor to have learned from those to then be a little bit more open and honest. And then we jump into series three and so much time has passed. And it doesn't seem like those lessons that I would have expected like them, her to take away from series two kind of carried over. It's like, we're back at that same point where she's not sharing about Gallifrey, timeless child master, like all these bigger things that have come up that she's kind of like buried. And then a lot of consequences came. We're kind of back in the same place now at the start of the series without much change in the approach there. Maybe that's the thing that sticks out to me is that there, it hasn't been that development there. Like, those learning curves that I thought we had already gone through were back at the very beginning again. Maybe the doctor's just like, it's none of your business, Yaz. It's none of your <laughs> business. None of your beeswax. Stays <laughs> out of my business. You don't yeah, I mean, it, it could be just the doctor doesn't know, you know, she she doesn't know. She hasn't figured it out for herself yet, so she really can't explain it. Yeah. And and she did seem annoyed, you know, like when Yaz brings it up and she's like I forget what she said at one point. Like, are you getting, what was that funny word she used? Marty? (laughs) Yeah. Are you being Marty? Once again, I have to look up. I have no idea what that means. But, you know, (laughs) it could be a good episode title, though. But, yeah. So, I I think they have an interesting dynamic. And I'm sure they're building towards something with that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, What else? Okay, so... We haven't talked about Vinder yet. Yeah, Vinder. We we did a little quick mention of him, but he he's on this this space station where I guess his job is just to look at stuff. And we don't really know anything about him. Uh it was definitely a different introduction to the character than I expected. Yep. Based on just how big of a reveal he was and kind of the way he looks, you know, kind of his style and his cool hair and his cool outfit and you see him in some of the promotional materials with like a, with a gun. And I was like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to run into this guy. He's going to be like an action hero type. 
you know, and he's going to help them defeat something. And like, it's going to be this big actiony episode when we, when we meet this guy. And then we kind of find out he's just, he's part of some organization and his job is just to sit in the space station and do nothing. Uh, and he doesn't <laughs> seem happy about it other than, well, yeah. he, he kind of thanks them for the view, but then, you know, in the end he's like, go to hell or whatever. And he said yep. at, at the one point. So yeah, it, interesting, not at all what I expected from the character. Maybe he, he does become that, you know, later, but, um, but yeah, interesting introduction. Yeah. And things kind of roll on from there and he's the first one to witness the flux, which is that giant tidal wave of destruction that's destroying, obliterating all time and space as it moves through. First one to witness that jumps into the escape pod and he takes off and really like, that's his introduction and we're just going to have to wait for another episode to find out how the heck he fits into everything. Yeah. He's just another one of those kind of teases uh, of what's yep. to come. Oh, we did have the, I guess it's worth noting, but not really not, not nothing to talk about too long, but we did have the kind of reveal of the TARDIS to a new companion moment. Uh, <laughs> it kind of fell flat. Like it didn't really, you know, there's only so many different ways you can, kind of do it but you know we had the bigger on the inside moment and then he was just like oh i think my friend has one of these but i think it's bigger you know like he he makes this kind of joke that he wasn't that impressed and that was yeah. about it i i chuckled because i thought that was funny because of the way that it's just delivered like nonchalantly like my friend has one of these um yeah yeah i thought it was funny but it didn't it's not the same awe and wonder and really, we haven't gotten many of those moments of awe and wonder in the recent TARDIS reveals. Yeah. They've all been like very fast, like you blow through it, um, different ways of saying the 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 phrase. Nothing ever like it's bigger on the inside. Awe, wonder, take a second, soak it in. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't what I would have hoped for. But I still found it funny. Yeah, I was kind of glad they didn't make a big deal out of it. You know, they they definitely have had, mo you know, moments where they make a big deal out of it. Um, but yeah. I, I at this point, I feel like Chibnall probably just, he didn't have any good ideas. You know, he's writing the script and he's like, okay, we have to have this moment, but let's just do a little quick joke and not make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. We do, so we do know that Centaurans are coming next episode. Yep. And we do get a quick little reveal of them in this episode. They seem to be happy that the flux is coming. They're pretty excited about it. I think they're just excited for the violence of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, they kind of just gave us a little introduction, a couple of Santarans talking about how excited they were for the oncoming, you know, violence. And that, that was about it. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Like, we have these snapshots that, I mean, three, four, five minutes at the beginning of the episode and we jump from character to character to character. But as the episode starts getting closer and closer to the end, it starts jumping at a more rapid pace between all the different things that are going on because we have the um, Dan and Yaz getting away with the doctor from Carvanista. Then we have like the conversation of, 
forming shield around the earth and then we have the Santarans show up and then back in the TARDIS and then the swarm and the doctor because she has another vision about them and then back in the TARDIS and then back with Carvanista and it just jumps from all these different scenes at a pretty pretty good clip and in the middle of that is like this other really creepy scene that in my mind again it foreshadows something in the future that they're gonna have to unpack because at the start of the episode dan walks out of the museum with another tour guide diane and they make plans for a date he isn't able to make it there she's outside of a creepy old house and then she essentially gets sucked inside to the old creepy house by a swarm in azure and it's like What's going to happen there? They now have a prisoner, and who knows what they're going to do. It was interesting kind of how that all went down. And then she, it's almost like she gets kind of teleported elsewhere, too, because when she goes inside the house, it's not, she's oh, not yeah. inside a house. Like, she's in no. this, like, standing water in this expanse. Yeah. And and then they're kind of like, oh, you're going to be, you're going to be fun or whatever. I forget how what they said. But, you know, they obviously have plans for her, you know. Um, maybe they utilize her to kind of infiltrate the doctor's inner circle because she has a relationship with Dan. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they utilize this, but yeah, that kind of was an interesting late addition to the episode that added a whole nother layer of like, okay, now we know, you know, she's, she's been basically kidnapped by them. Uh, the other woman has been sent back in time by the, by the, the weeping angels we have what's going on in 1820. We have Vinder. Not really sure what you know what's going to happen to him. You know, there's all these like threads that they have now dropped on us, and it's all happening. Or they they kind of reveal all that stuff to us as the Doctor is trying to hold back the flux, using um, the the energy from the t- t- from the TARDIS. Yeah, you know, shooting it out and kind of saying. Yeah, I thought that would work. It doesn't seem to be working. This must be the end of the what the end of the universe looks like. I always wondered what that would look like. Yeah. So you're kind of ending the very first episode of her final season in this way that's like she already feels like she's lost. Yeah. And what does it mean? You know, is the flux overtaking them? Maybe once it overtakes them, that sets off, you know, some sort of event where. You know, there's, you know, all the speculation that there's gonna be multiple universes and all that stuff. So, yeah, they 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 literally left us hanging at the end with a ton of unanswered questions and a ton of characters uh, that we really don't know what's going to happen to them or what if they're important or why they're important. Yeah, it's so what I'm curious about is basically are all the threads going to be individual episodes within the series? Because if so, I think that puts us close to six or are they all going to be, are we going to have episodes like this carrying forward where we just have all these stories slowly moving forward in each of the progressive episodes? It doesn't seem that like that's going to be the case based on the trailer for this coming episode with Centaurans, but I don't know. The the trailer for the flux wasn't totally honest with us either. So yeah. I, I'm curious how this story progresses. I I actually think that it will continue in the same vein. I I think that we'll get little pieces added 
throughout. I don't think the next episode is just going to be like a, com, you know, compartmentalized story about the Suntarans. I think they're going to continue to progress all of these threads a little bit at a time. That's my guess. I don't think that they're going to have an episode about Suntarans and another episode about, you know, uh, 1812 or another episode about the woman who got sent back by the Weeping Angels. And then the finale is they all come together. I, I think that they'll kind of give us little progression throughout the six episodes that will all lead to something, you know, kind of a big finale. That's my guess. I mean, it, it makes sense. And if that's the way they go about it, I'm, I'm down for it. Um, yeah. I'm just, there's so many threads, Aaron, so many threads. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm curious to know how it's going to work out. Yeah. And we have a little bit of information around kind of what's coming. You know, we've, they have released, um, you know, a little, a little trailer for the next episode. Also, they had a season trailer that we didn't really get to review because we didn't do an episode before this. Um, but is there anything that, you know, kind of stands out in those, those trailers that, you know, is worth mentioning or, you know, any actors that are going to be in it that you're excited about? I don't know. I, I think the next one is interesting just because it's historical in nature. Um, if I'm reading it right, based on the characters, it's going to be around the time of the Crimean War, um, which should be interesting. I, I, you've mentioned it time and time again over the years. Historical episodes are interesting to you. I find them interesting as well. So I'm looking forward to see what happens here, um, especially since you're throwing good old-fashioned Mr. Potato Heads into the action. So who yeah. knows what happens? With a bit um, of a redesign as well. Like, they're not... They they look a bit different than 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 what we've seen them portrayed in the modern series. They, and it, it, it definitely looks like a, a throwback to how they looked more in the classic series. Oh, absolutely. I saw a screenshot of the third, fourth Doctor wrestling with one, and it was like, oh, okay that's where they got the designs from. It's no longer Strax. It's like old, old school Centaurans. Yeah. And who's, so Mary Seacole. I don't, I'll admit, I don't know a lot about her as a historical figure, but, um, apparently she was a, a nurse, a British Jamaican. Yes. And I only know that because, when I saw the name, I Googled it. <laughs> so I wanted to know where she fit in because she's highlighted in the, in the clip. So she must be important. Right. And that's British Jamaican healer, businesswoman who set up the British hotel behind the lines during the Crimean war. She described this as a mess table and comfortable quarters for the sick and convalescent officers. Um, and she, uh, she had she had met the most famous nurse in history, Floris Nightingale, for five minutes during during the Crimean War. Um, so it it's so Crimean War. We're talking eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah, eighteen oh five, eighteen sixty. But we're gonna have the doctor meeting a nurse, so that should be fun. So when was the Crimean War? Was in eighteen sixty. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And. 1853 to eight, or 1856. Okay. And then 1820 is when they were digging those tunnels. Okay. So I'm just seeing if there was maybe a connection there, but probably not. It sounds like there's enough time difference there that that's not going to overlap. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know a lot about the subject matter 
around that time period, but uh, it looks like there's going to be some disruption to our typical timeline because you have the, uh, you know, there's some scenes in the trailer where you see these, you know, British soldiers fighting against Santarans on horseback <laughs> and with lasers. So <laughs> how that ends up in the history books will be interesting <laughs> because uh, yeah. it's obviously changing the timeline a bit. Yeah. But it, sh it should be good. It, I don't know. I, I have high hopes, right? They, they did. They, they sowed enough seeds in this first episode to really have me looking forward to the, to the next episodes. I wasn't feeling that way after the first like three minutes with the weird gravity bar scene and how all that panned out. But once it jumped into the meat of the episode, it's like, okay, there's enough questions here. I need to see how this is resolved. Um, I'm kind of just scrolling through the the season trailer to see if there's, you know, there's definitely a lot of imagery that happened in the first episode, but there's there's plenty that didn't. Um, I don't know that there's anything, though, that's, like, super revealing other than maybe some guest guest stars. There is a scene with Vinder um, right around the 38-second mark where he's kind of in this room with... Um, these like robed characters on pedestals that looks kind of interesting. Don't know where that's at, but uh, the ood. There's an ood. There is an ood. Yes, there's an ood in the trailer. Um, a couple guest stars that seem like they should be notable because of how they're featured, but I don't recognize them <laughs> because <laughs> I'm assuming they're probably from, uh, you know, British TV and not necessarily from anybody we would recognize. Although there there was one exception that I think I texted you about. Um, and I'm forgetting his name now. But he was the only actor that I recognized, where I was like, oh, okay, I know that guy. Kevin um, McNally. Yeah, yeah, he's in, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, and he's in a show called Turn. Oh, um, that's where he's from. Yeah, like, he's definitely more notable in, in more kind of U.S. productions. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, he was the more the most notable of the guest stars that they kind of show off in the trailer. But yeah, so I'm excited. I thought the first episode was very cool, left a lot dangling. Definitely is has piqued my interest, and I'm excited to see what the next episode is like. And uh, honestly, this is gonna fly by <laughs> with it only being six episodes. Oh, it's, absolutely, it's gonna come and go. So yeah, I think. Just one more comment about the trailer. I think that the the visuals of like Jodie Whittaker's Doctor has always had like the same color line carried throughout her clothing and promos and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to see the visual in the trailer of that line being solid, and then as it gets closer to the end of the trailer, it frays, it splits apart. Um, Right. I find that a visual, a, a, an interesting visual, and I like to think that it's foreshadowing, basically, the unraveling of timelines. Um, but right. I know that's, we, that seems to be a, you know, a common, I guess, takeaway from, from that visual is that there's some sort of a splitting of timelines that may happen. It could just be just an unraveling of, of things in general right yeah but, but yeah it, it yeah there's definitely some symbolism there 
that we will, when it's all said and done, we'll look back and be like, oh, okay, that's what they were trying to tell us. <laughs> yep. But for now, it's only only speculation that we can do. Yep. It's a uh, it's a good one. We'll see. Yeah. Last question. If Car Carvanista is is the last member of or the last one that she could find of the division. In the division, our Time Lord agents, is he a Time Lord? <laughs> I I wasn't gonna mention that, Aaron. I I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna push back on that, but I think that's where I question whether they are. I question whether they are. Oh, you don't think even those two people at the beginning were Time Lords? I don't I don't know. Because they make it very clear that he's the last living one. But the doctor was already looking for him before those two people died, unless the timeline of the show isn't accurate. Then, or she didn't know that there were more. Um, yeah. So I, do I mean, you? That... So here's a question: Do you think that the division are all time lords, or if he's a member of the division, do you think there's a possibility that he's not a time lord? I don't think he's a time lord. Okay. But but we know he's from the division. So so what you're saying is you think that just because you're part of the division um doesn't necessarily mean you're a time lord. Right. I think okay. I think he's the division's ready for it retriever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. He could be like their well, no, I was I was going to go deeper down the pun lane, but I'm not going to do it. Uh yeah, I I kind of tend to agree with you. I do think that the division in general is uh, a time lord organization, but I think that they may have agents that aren't time lords, and and I I would be surprised if he's a time lord. But I do think that the two guards were were members of the division and were time lords, and we may never know. But <laughs> if you look on the TARDIS Data Core has them listed as as Time Lords. It lists them as Time Lords, really. It does. It says, it, it, and it points out that their weaponry is the same uh, weaponry from pre from the previous episodes with the the division. I think that's just the prop department getting lazy. But eh. if it calls them Time Lords, then I guess they can't argue with that. Well, I mean, it's just the TARDIS Data Core, so that's a fan made uh, wiki, so they could be wrong, but. Um, I would say watch that scene again with the thought that they're Time Lords. And, okay. And then try to convince yourself that they're not. Okay. Because I think they are. Yeah. I'll do it for you. All right. Well, on that note, I think we're good to wrap this one up. Okay. Unless you had something else that you thought was worth talking about. No. I, I, think, we've, I think we've sufficiently covered all the different jump arounds of this episode. All right, well, uh, barring any extreme circumstances, I would say we're back to weekly episodes for a bit. And um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, especially to our new listeners. Uh, we we get notes from time to time from people that just found us and listened to our entire library. <laughs> and so for those of you that listen to 100-plus episodes in a row, um, <laughs> here's another one. <laughs> Hopefully yes. you still, you're still hanging with us. Um but yeah, you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or pretty much any podcatcher out there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Bad Wolf Podcast. 
Facebook, our Facebook group is, is pretty fun and it's kind of, you know, people are, are back in the conversation because Doctor Who is back. So if you want to look for us on Facebook, um, you can search for the Bad Wolf Radio group and, um, and we'll let you in. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Until next time. My old friend, I find myself excited. <laughs> Centauran quote. Yes. Creepy Centaurans. <laughs> Mr. Potato Man. I mean, they, they, they look awful. Like, I appreciate the fact that they're from the classics, a more classical design, but they look terrible. I do, I mean, I will say, of, of the really bad classic designs, they're one of the ones that doesn't bother me so much. Oh, really? Yeah, because they just look, they do look like the alien.